Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and guinea pigs everywhere looking at mice with tail envy. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means. It's Tea with BBP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's your host, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BBP, international superstar, and Angelica Diva of SLA. And speaking of mice... With me in the audience, uh, the audience, with me in the studio here are my cuddly, cuddly little furry little friends, my co-hosts Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hi, kids. Can I be a guinea pig instead? You yeah. could be a guinea pig, okay. but then you'll be tailless. I think the you'll have tail guinea pigs are more cuddly I, than mice, aren't they? Yeah. But then you'll have tail envy. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I No. Have I you used this one before? I feel like I've heard this before. Really? No, 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 no. We Hello, everybody. Guinea pigs with tail envy. Just say, just say hi, Walter. Hi, everybody. Gee. <laughs> Guten, what is it? Talk. Guten, Guten talk. talk. Guten Tag. There you go. Well, it's Thursday and a really rainy day here in mm-hmm. East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, Mike Coxon came to visit and he brought the ring with him from the West. So thank you, Mike, for that. <laughs> we had beautiful 70 degree weather for three days and sunny skies. And it's all going to be back this weekend after you leave, Mike. So <laughs> we're excited. Walt, do you know why we're excited? Why are we excited? Because we have a special real live guest in the studio today. Did you know that? I did because he's sitting at my left. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Well, I never know with you, Walter, if, you know, with your tunnel vision, you if you can see around right, the corners right. of your eyes. Yes, we have a special live guest here, and I, I will introduce him in a minute, Blaine Ray. Um, and so I will hold off on those introductions because we're excited about that. We're going to do a lot of talking about TPRS today and comprehensible input and language teaching in general and so on. And we're going to encourage everybody to call in with any questions they have. But first, I have to acknowledge something. Another reason I'm excited is Luca is going to send out a tweet right now because I got a gift in the mail. And he took a photo of it. Did you see what it was, Angelica? I did, yes. Okay. Describe for the audience what it was. Well, I actually don't know what it was, but it had you on it. It's like a little mini quilt. It's like a cross. A quilt. It's, okay. a little, it's a little mini quilt with some cross stitching yeah. and put my image. Anyway, Luke is tweeting that out so you get to see it. And it was just so thoughtful and so wonderful. And it came from Elena Gonzalez. And so I'm going to read a little bit of the note that she sent um, because it's really sweet. So she said, Dear Bill. I like it when they say Dear Bill. <laughs> Dear Bill. <laughs> Dear Bill. <laughs> Thank you so much for your podcast, Tea with BBP. I have been listening to it from the very beginning. Oh, Look nice. At that. I think it should be compulsory reading or compulsory listening for all language instructors. And look at that. She put a cute little smiley face after that. (laughs) I teach at the college level in Massachusetts, and I listen to you in the car on my way to work. See? There's no reason you can't listen to us. On the gym, on the way to work, in the car, and so on. It gets me thinking about SLA and gives me ideas for my class. Uh, My colleague Lucia and I are big fans of all the show and also stalked you at Actful. I don't remember that in Boston, but go ahead. (laughs) Um, I hope you like the mini quilt. I can't draw it all, but hopefully the resemblance is there. And I think it's a wonderful quilt. I think they did a fabulous job. It's just, it's just, it's, she shouldn't like be apologizing at all. And thank you so much for educating the educators. Oh, she also called me a modern day hero. Isn't that cute? You're going to have to add add that to your intro. There you go. And modern international year. superstar, <laughs> diva <laughs> of SLA. I'm going to join the Avengers now. I'm going to be oh, one of the nice. Avengers. I'll be like the sixth Avenger, right after Black Widow. Okay, and then she says, "Thank you so much for educating the educators. Thank you. That was so sweet, Elena. Thank you for that. We love that. And we also got a gift from Hawaii. Mm. And because remember, I ate the last candies they gave me at the conference. So yes. they never right. made it to the studio. Yes. So she said, "There's a big, uh, big jar of uh, macadamia <gasps> nuts encrusted with." 
sugar yes. and chocolate. Those oh, are for you guys. Daniel's showing them to us. I think I, they're going to eat them before we ever get a chance on Gilligan. I can't eat Gilligan. nuts anymore, Daniel, do you so. not open them? <laughs> He's opening them. Stop it. Stop it. I don't think that they were meant for the people. <gasps> yeah, they, they were meant for the people on the right side of the window. Yeah, well, there's enough there for to go around. Okay, let's get back to the show. Come on. Stop looking at the chocolates. Whatever. They're okay. our chocolates. We don't share. Uh, yeah, no, okay. <laughs> You okay. didn't share with before, us. Before I introduce Blaine, I want to remind everybody that we have, of course, the SLA challenge question. I will give the question in a few minutes. And the first person to get a call into our studio and has the correct answer will win a prize. So keep your cell phones close by out there. We do not accept answers on Mixler people. Um, and we also want your phones close by because we don't want you running to find it and break a leg on the way, right? So keep it close by. What if they want to call on their landline? They can do that too. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the same for the Diva Challenge question. <laughs> Who has a landline? Yeah, anymore? right. What is I'll that? I'll read that question. I'll read the Diva Challenge question at some point as well, and you'll have time to pick up, punch in our number, and say to Jen, who's on the lines, Jen, I'm calling with the answer to the Diva question. And of course, we have other little tidbits along the way today. The number to reach us at is 517 517- 884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. And again, Jen is on the lines waiting for your call. And uh, Angelica will be monitoring Mixler. Walter is on the um, T with BBB at gmail.com site as well as Twitter. But please don't be shy with our special guest. You're going to make him feel bad if you don't call in and talk to him and talk to us. So without further ado, that takes me to my introduction. Okay, Walter, what was our topic last week? Fluency. Aha. And which was fortuitous. Fortuitous. Um, because this week we have in our studio the author of the book, Fluency Through Storytelling, Achieving Real Language Acquisition in School. Uh, the founder of TPRS, Teaching Proficiency Through Reading and Storytelling, the great Blaine Ray. Welcome, Blaine. Give him a round of applause. Say hi, Blaine. Hi. Yay, we're so <laughs> glad to have you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All the way from Utah. and But I heard you're on a little road trip now anyway, so you're just yeah. passing through Michigan on your way to Florida or from Florida. Florida yesterday. Yeah. And then you're going to Texas tomorrow? Or Texas to tonight. Yeah. Wow. Again, then you're going to go back home after that? Nope. Nope? Going back here and then to Europe next week. Oh, my gosh. This guy travels more than Sue Gas and more than me. Look at mm-hmm. that. I <laughs> tell crazy. you. Well, Blaine, um, we're just delighted to have you here. We get a lot of questions and calls about TPRS, comprehensive, but all kinds of things related to language teaching, of course. And I thought we'd get the discussion going. I have some questions for you, um, and I, but I'm going to encourage everybody to call in with any question you want. Um, you, you know, I just realized, Luca, should I give the SLA challenge question now? What do you think? Yeah, why don't you? Why don't I do that, and then I'll get my questions to Blaine. Now I get the SLA challenge question out of the way. So Blaine, hang on a second, and we'll, okay. I'm going to ask you a few questions in a minute to get the ball rolling. So here's the SLA challenge question. Uh, input is language that learners are exposed to in a communicative environment, but not all input is processed. What do we call that part of the input that learners actually process by connecting form and meaning? That is, the part of the input that is actually useful and usable for acquisition. What's that called? Okay, again, input is language that learners are exposed to in a communicative environment, but not all input is processed. What do we call that subset or that part of the input that learners actually process for form and meaning and that is actually usable for acquisition? So if you know the answer to that question, call in. It's a well-known term. Hopefully you've got it. Okay, back to Blaine. Okay, Blaine. 
I'm going to start off with, uh, I think it's kind of not a controversial question, but it's, to me it was interesting because um, I've looked at your book. I've read it and I've, I've walked through it, of course. The subtitle of your book on fluency through storytelling is Achieving Real Language Acquisition School. And I was intrigued by that title, the use of the word real. Um, so there must be something in your head when you wrote that subtitle as opposed to saying just achieving language acquisition, but you said real language acquisition. So what was – is there a little subtext there with using the word real? Oh, I think real, ac- real language acquisition is a feeling that I'm so getting it. And the only way that can happen is with compelling comprehensible input and – but – to do that, it has to be repetitive. Mm-hmm. And the, I think why how uh, TPRS differs from just straight comprehensible input is our emphasis on teaching a sentence. And we do that. We have specific things we do. We do what we call circling, which is repetitive questions. And we add characters. Everything is dramatized. And by doing different characters, each the sentence changes slightly with each different character. So that keeps a teacher on a sentence. And the circling also keeps a teacher on a sentence. And it's teaching that sentence until the student's so getting it that it's the heart of what we do in teaching real acquisition. Mm-hmm. I thought that maybe um, you were using real acquisition to drive home the point of what Krashen has termed acquisition versus learning, and I talk about also as acquisition versus learning, but in a more general sense, mental representation versus learned language. And so I thought maybe you're trying to let the reader know we're talking about acquisition in the Krashen sense, but not learning in the explicit learning sense. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And the, the difference on TPRS is there's not an emphasis on, this, on the language, the emphasis on the story. And we get people not thinking about learning a language at all. They're thinking about boy number one who wants a cat, boy number two who wants a a cat that eats chickens, and boy number three that wants a big elephant. And so you're thinking about the facts of this story which have surprises, and there's really no emphasis on the language at all. Right. And I experienced that myself last summer. Katya uh, did a Russian demo, and I volunteered to be the the, the oh. demo student. Oh, good. Because I didn't want her standing up there waiting yeah, for people good. to volunteer. So I volunteered right away because I know what it's like to be up front and having people wait to answer your question or do something. So I jumped up, and so I was the character in the story that she was yeah. creating. And so I, because I'm because of who I am and what I am, I not only participated as a student, but I also monitored the, audi- monitored the audience who were the fake students because very few of them knew any Russian. This was like 150 people in the, on, in the workshop that I was at. And what I noticed was just what you're talking about was um, that they were so involved in what the story was, they forgot they were learning language. Exactly. It, and, it, and I noticed it about myself, too. I walked away with Russian in my head just zinging yeah. all day long. Huh. I couldn't stop. In fact, I wrote Katya three days later. I wrote an email in Russian with a little bit of Russian. I learned oh, from her thing. Oh, nice. <laughs> I did not a Russian. I did Roman alphabet, but it was it's, I it's, can it's, attest to that fact because he came back here and was starting <laughs> to tell me all about his Russian experience. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. And all I kept hearing about was vodka. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because, you know, because he could vodka. Dadia Bet Midler. I remember that now. Okay. Anyway, so tell us, Blaine, in a nutshell, how did you come to TPRS? What was sort of the, the, because I'm assuming you got to start in language teaching like everybody else. Yeah, I had a a very difficult time. I went from school to school. I was fired one place and I went to another school and there were no kids in my classes. And the principal said, You've got to get more kids in your class. You're not going to teach her anymore. And that year I found James Asher. I ordered the book in the summer and I went home and I said, oh my gosh, this is how I'm going to teach. I taught that way for three months and I had a girl that 
came back from uh, six months in Costa Rica with one year of Spanish for me where she didn't learn anything. And I, I turned the class over to the kids. And the whole hour, the kids gave her commands in Spanish. And at the end, she said, I've, I've never seen anything like that. Those kids learned more Spanish in, in three months of your class than I learned in three months of living in Costa Rica. I thought that TPR was the answer to language, to how to teach language. But I found out it didn't work for anything other than commands. Mm -hmm. It broke down when I tried to teach things where I could model that had multiple interpretations. So I went for three years like that with really great start, not a great finish. And, but then in, in uh, 1984, I found Stephen Krashen's book called The Natural Approach, where he gave its five theories of language acquisition. But when, when I read this sentence, language is acquired by comprehensible input, it just, I thought, oh my gosh, that's what I'm missing. And so he didn't say how to do it, but he gave me the ideas. And, and most of what I tried still didn't work. But one day I tried to act out a story with student actors and asking questions about that. It worked magically. And the more I, t I tried that, the more I said, this is the way to teach language. It led to writing a book in 1989 called Look, I Can Talk, which was kind of the beginning of TPRS for anybody else other than me. Mm -hmm. And since then, it's, it's spread. People said, oh, this is a fad. It's going away. It just keeps getting bigger. It keeps getting, it's all over the world now. It's just in Australia and Korea and China, and people are seeing this, and they're saying, this is an amazing way to teach language. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I thought that you might talk a little bit about, you know, the roots of it that way in the sense of your frustrations and, and, the, and, the, and the pressures that were on you, because we all face that. And those of us, I keep saying this to my colleagues and to people around the country, we're going to teach ourselves out of existence if we exactly. don't deliver. Exactly. And so you met the challenge by saying, I need to start delivering. I was out of existence. Yeah. I was yeah. looking at no job. Yeah, because, um, you know, there's a reason there's a language requirement for four years, for example, or for two years or three years, and a science requirement for one semester or an uh, English lit class for one semester, because you know you need four semesters or more to like show some beginning proficiency, right? People kind of understand that, but people still aren't delivering all the time on that. So I, I understand what that's coming from. Um, I'm going to ask I'm going to ask you another question here in a minute, but we already have a phone call uh, to answer the SLA challenge question, which is kind of related to some things we talked about. So let me take that phone call. Do we have? Uh, is it Erilyn on the line? Yes. Hey, <laughs> hey, Erilyn. How are you? Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Pennsylvania, Philadelphia area. I'm a professor at Arcadia University. At Arcadia. Good for you. Great. All right. So are you in your car? I am, but I was just going to pull over. <laughs> <laughs> Please do, because we don't want you to get so excited when you win that you, that you go into a ditch or hit the back of a semi or something. So let me know, yeah. when, you're, let me know when you're pulled over. <laughs> okay, I'm pulled up. I'm good. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Well, let me read the question again uh, for our audience. I had it here somewhere. I'm losing my mind. Here we go. So let me read the question again, and once I finish the question, you can answer it. Ready? Okay. okay. Input is language that learners are exposed to in a communicative environment, but not all input is processed. What do we call that subpart or that subcomponent of the input that learners actually process when they connect form and meaning? Um, and the part that is useful and usable for acquisition. Okay. What's that called? Erlen. It's called uptake. Uptake. Oh, well, we're going to send you a prize, but that's not the answer. So we're going to. That's not the answer. We're going to uptake is actually a, a phenomenon in discourse and conversation. For example, if I say to Angelica something, and she repeats one of the words I say, um, that that's used in, in in the discourse analysis to talk about 
what a learner hears at that point in time, but we don't know if it's part of anything for acquisition. But there's another term. There's another term that goes all the way back to S. Pitt Quarter in 1967 that he invented. Now these these terms go way back. This is nothing new. So, but we're going to send you something anyway, and we're going to leave the question open. I'm, I'm not going to answer it because you called from your car, and I didn't want you getting into wreck. So we're going to send you a little something anyway for, for trying. Okay. Well, thank you. I love listening to the show. I try to every week. <laughs> well, sounds like you do. You're in your car listening, so good for you. Yeah. Okay, everyone, thanks for calling Thanks. in. Be safe. Okay, you too. Bye. All right. Thanks for Ireland. calling. Bye-bye. Darn, I thought she was going to get it. Uh. Um, she was close, but no cigar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so before we take another caller, I wanted to talk to, to Blaine a little bit about, because um, you talked about how you started with TPR, in the beginning. And by the way, those of you out there, there's a marvelous book, if you can find it, published in 1983. That's a collection of different essays by different authors. It was published by Newberry House. Blaine probably knows this book. Um, it's called uh, The Comprehension-Based Approach to Language Teaching. Uh, Harry Winnitz is in it, Leonard Newmark's in it, Jim Asher's in it, and a bunch of other people in it. And they're all talking. And some of these things are just essays, but some of them are actually some research they did about comprehension-based approaches versus other approaches. And it really is, it, was, it shows you how that far, that far back, before Steve started publishing his own books about this kind of stuff, um, and the rest of us were talking about input, that people were already getting there. Um, so I, I highly recommend that book because nothing much has changed. If you read that book, it's really quite good. Again, it's called The Comprehension-Based Approach. It was published by Newberry House. I think Harry Winnins is the editor on that. So anyway, my question for you, Blaine, on this Blaine Ray extravaganza today, which I'm so excited <laughs> about, is you started with TPR. So how has TPRS evolved over the years, or has it? Is it still pretty much the way it was 15 years ago? Have, is there any something substantial or that sticks out that you'd like to tell our audience that's changed? Yeah, I think some things. Uh, the basic premise of a dramatizing a story, we've always had student actors. That's never changed. Asking questions about the student actors has has not changed. I think uh, we've changed tremendously on our way of articulating things in, in our way of training. Uh, I also think that uh, our emphasis on our input is better now. We, we train teachers to add themselves as a parallel character so that we can do IU teaching. It started out great as third-person teaching. We started out all in the present tense, and then we, went to, we saw that we could get present and past in the same sentence. And we could go back and forth between present and past. And so that was a big step forward. And now our input is even better by doing IU input right. so that the class is getting that IU teacher input. Though I think those are the major changes that we've seen. I, I think years. that's linguistically it's very important. I've done research on this from the acquisition side of, uh, uh, point of view from Spanish. But language like Spanish and Turkish that have, have rich verb morphology so that there's a different person ending for every person. In those languages, the third person singular tends to be the default unmarked exactly. form. And so so what happens with learners is that they get a lot of third-person input, then those those lexical items like puede and come, he can, she can, uh, he eats, she eats, and so on, those become the base forms, and everything's come, puede. Everything is that, yeah. yeah. And it's because they're not hearing enough in the input, the other forms. Yeah, it's and yo so, come. Yeah, exactly. And because, you know, if all you're doing is third-person, that's your input. And so exactly. that, that was a, that's actually a very important innovation, and we've shown in the research that. When I've looked at textbooks and, and did counts of verb forms in textbooks, it's like 75% is in third-person singular in the textbooks. So that's got to change in the classroom. So that, that's a very important, I think, uh, change. Good for you for doing that. Great. Um, okay, we've got another call on the line. We'll come back to Blaine in a minute. We've got, um, is it Abraham or Abran? Is it Spanish or English? 
Um, both. Um, Abraham. <laughs> Abraham, you want me to call you Abraham? You want me to call you Abraham? Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know, which, which, with that, I just gave you two choices, Abraham, Abraham. Which one oh, do you want? Oh, no, that, let's go with Abraham. Abraham, okay, Abraham. My, my, my wife is from Spain, so that's what she calls me, so. <laughs> well, I got news for you. I'm not your wife. <laughs> no, you're not, but, I mean, people, people I care about can call me Abraham. Oh. I'm going to give you a prize no matter what you answer now. Wow. <laughs> Abraham, where are you calling from? 100% sure. Where are you calling from? So I'm calling from Morgan Hill. Hey, my old stomping grounds. I'm from the Bay Area. Yeah. 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 I I called in, uh, I think, a couple months ago. Oh, that's right. Now I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. Well, now you get to answer an SLA challenge question, right? Yeah. So let me read the question one more time for everybody, and hopefully Abraham's going to get it right. Okay, so input, again, input is language that learners are exposed to in a communicative environment. But not all input is processed. So what do we call that part of the input that learners actually process by connecting form and meaning and is actually useful and, avi- and usable for acquisition? What's that called, Lauren? I'm thinking comprehensible input. Oh, no. Or no. Dang it. No, you're close. Comprehensible input does maximize this other thing we want, but okay, we're gonna go ahead and give him a prize too. Poor <laughs> I thought this was an easy question. Where's Eric Kerman? Get like Eric Kerman on the phone. I know he knows the answer. I'm just kidding you, Abadan. I'm just kidding you. We're gonna send we're gonna send you a prize anyway because I didn't think this was gonna be that tough for people. This is a this is a, a you He doesn't think any of them are this tough. This is a, yeah, such a true. ubiquitous term. True. It goes back to nineteen sixty seven. I thought this was one of those. Okay. All right. Abadan, no problem. You're gonna get a prize anyway. We love you. Thanks for calling. Okay. Okay. Thank you. See you soon. Thanks for Bye-bye. calling. Say hi to your wife. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Bye. All right. The third time's a charm our next caller is going to be. Okay. So getting back to Blaine now. Um, no more interruptions to phone calls. Just kidding. Um, we were talking about how e- TPRS has evolved. Talk a little bit about how you see the future of TPRS. I see it as really taking off right now. It's really gaining a lot. of. I mean, it's always been there and been constantly gaining momentum, but now it seems to be even more. I mean, like we have a new, this Saturday I'm giving a keynote at Mitten CI, um, which didn't exist before. And so I think there's a lot more local things cropping up. Am I right about that? Do you see it, is it expanding and the numbers growing? We see the numbers growing, expanding. Uh, I think our biggest uh, drawback, the, the biggest problem that TPRS has is that you don't learn this in a day. Uh, it's like learning to play the piano or play golf or something. You don't take a piano lesson and say, okay, now I can play the piano. Right. It's, it's just, and so this takes practice and, and to get uh, so that you're pretty good at TPRS, it, it takes practice. And, and so the training, the teacher training has been the hardest thing. But uh, our methods have improved. We have, we have these national conferences that we give workshops all over and we're coming out with a certification program. And it's all about getting teachers committed to doing the practice. Mm-hmm. And if, if they'll do that, that's the future of TPRS. It's getting teachers trained that and getting away. I, I love what you and I were talking about, about the textbook. We've got to get the teachers away from the textbooks to really become effective teaching at, at comprehensible input. Right. And I think what TPRS helps teachers do is take control of both the classroom and acquisition, not control in a, in, a, in a controlling sense, but actually put their stamp on the classroom and put their stamp on acquisition as opposed to flipping pages in a textbook. Yeah. But in other words, a textbook doesn't control the curriculum, the teacher controls exactly. the curriculum, which is what we want. 
I think we want teachers always, and that's, from my perspective, that's true of any discipline, right? But even more so in languages, it's really important, so. Uh, okay, uh, we've got, oh, we've got another call coming in. Okay, with third time's a charm on the SLA <laughs> challenge question, right? Uh, who do we have on the line? We have Andrew. Hi, good afternoon. Andrew, yeah, from Valencia in Spain. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, Walter, are you going to do your accent now for yeah, Andrew? Please oh, do. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, he likes I'm it. from the UK originally. He, I know. <laughs> uh, Walter shy. likes to do his Mary Poppins yep. imitation. <laughs> okay. Mary Poppins, okay. Mary yeah, he does. No, no, he does, no. he does. Okay, Andrew. So well, I, go on, I think my daughter's listening inside. She likes Mary Poppins. You know, go for it. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Actually, he likes to imitate the little penguins in the movie, but that's another story. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay, so Andrew, you're calling with the answer to the SLA challenge question, right? I'm going to read hopefully, it. Hopefully, yeah. I'm going to read it one more, hopefully the final time for their audience, and then we'll see what your answer is, Andrew. So here we go, one more time. Everybody in the studio is looking at me like, oh my God, he's reading it again. Okay. <laughs> input is language that learners are exposed to in a communicative environment, but not all input is processed. What do we call that part of the input that learners actually process by connecting form and meaning? That is the part of the input that is actually useful and usable for acquisition. Andrew, take it away. Yeah, I think so. I mean, originally I thought comprehensible input, but then I thought, what is process? Surely it's intake. Ding, ding, yes! ding, ding, ding. Yay! Oh, excellent. Okay, Andrew's getting a double prize. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And that's Thank great, you. yeah. Intake, and that's a term that goes way back to S. Pitt Quarter. Quarter, um, yeah. Yeah, and compres- what comprehensible input does is it maximizes the amount of intake you can get. Because even comprehensible input is not 100% comprehensible. But it's, no, there's some, you don't, there's some you don't retain. Yeah, yeah, and some that goes by a little bit, a little bit of noise in there. You don't, you, know, you don't want a lot of noise in your input. You want, to, you want to maximize the comprehension. But the part that learners actually connect form and meaning to at a given point in time, that's the intake. And what can happen in the space of an hour, for example, is your intake can get greater. So at the beginning, as Blaine was saying, you know, you're teaching and working with a sentence. You might get bits and pieces of that. That's your intake then. But later on, 15, 20 minutes later, yeah, later you hear on. the sentence again. There's more intake in that sentence and so on. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Andrew. You saved the day. You saved thank the day. Thank you very much, Bill. All right. Okay, so everybody's got your information, and we're going to send you a nice little present in the, in the mail. You still there? I think he's gone. Oh, Bye, he's Andrew. Gone. Oh, thank bye, you. Bye, oh, Andrew. Bye, Andrew. Yeah, and the reason I did that that question as SLA challenge question, Blaine, was because um, what TPRS does as a method is it tries to maximize the intake that learners get, and I think that escapes a lot of people. That you can't just throw input at people. It's not like throwing spaghetti in the wall and see what sticks. You've got to structure and manage the classroom time so that learners maximally get what they can out of the input. We, we want to maximize the intake they get out of the input, and I think you would agree with that, right? Absolutely. The goal of TPRS is to not finish anything. Our goal isn't to finish a chapter or a book or a story or anything. Our goal is to teach a sentence. And, and so by focusing on that sentence, by our terms of circling and adding characters, why that gives us maximum practice of what you're saying there to give the students a feeling that I'm so getting this, which is a much higher feeling than I'm getting it. Right. It gives the feeling, of, oh, my gosh, I'm so getting this. And it's that focusing on the sentence to get our students so that they can respond to our questions 
with very little hesitation, with accuracy. That's the goal to practice. Mm -hmm. Practice meaning for them to hear that sentence so that they can get it. Just to paraphrase, Rich, I want to make sure people understand what we mean by practice. You're using practice in the psychological sense of practice, but not practice in the traditional pedagogical sense of practice. Because in psychology, practice means doing anything in a context in which you ultimately have to do it. So you learn to drive by driving. You learn to play cards by playing cards. And you learn language by being engaged with language, by comprehending, exactly. right? As opposed to practice, which is what some people might call forced output. Exactly. Yeah, that's not, that's not the kind of – I want to make sure the audience understands what we mean by practice no. here. So good. All right. Um, what, uh, I want you to clarify something for us, Blaine. Um, and again, I'm urging the callers – well, to give the callers our phone number again because – 584 Four, three, two, one. So please call in. Blaine's here. He's, he'd love to hear from you all. He doesn't want to just hear from me. So please call in. You can ask him questions. You can ask me questions. Angelica and Walter questions. Um, but Blaine's here, so take advantage of it while he's here for the next half hour. Um, one of the things I noticed and I want you to comment on is the following. When I interact with many TPRS people, um, there's a sense that CI, comprehensible input, is a method as opposed to a construct. Um, And often we see sometimes people talking about TPRS and CI as though they're one and the same thing. And I actually heard this, I won't say who, there's somebody who was critical saying, um, do the TPRS people think they own CI? I go, no, of course not, of course not. Um, And so I was hoping that you might comment on this and maybe speak to the issue um, of, of what exactly, how you see CI um, or comprehensible input, um, and I mean, do you agree with me that it's a construct? It's a construct that I would say the following. Just tell me if you agree or disagree. I see TPRS as a method um, and as a way of maximizing the use of CI in the classroom, but not as equivalent to CI. It's one way of doing it, and it's really worked out well. It's a well worked out method for doing it, as opposed to CI more generally, which is just whenever you get exposed to language that you can comprehend, whether it's in the classroom or out of the classroom. Right? Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. There's uh, the, the difference on on TPRS is our focus on teaching a sentence to get confidence in that sentence. And, and so we have specific training and specific things we do that by using student actors and, and surprises that make that comprehensible input very interesting. There are other ways of getting comprehensible input. We, we don't have a say, oh, we're the only way that this can be done. That would be silly for us to say that. But the difference in us is since we this works really well in the classroom by our emphasis on teaching a sentence with just CI – and they go from sentence to sentence to sentence to sentence. You don't get the repetition right. to feel that I'm so getting it. And, and that's the main difference of right. TPRS versus CI. CI, by the way, works for a, a very small percentage. But, but any method works. I had a girl in my workshop recently who said, I had two years of high school grammar Spanish and I was fluent. Well, she was, she had the highest time writing in my workshop ever. She had a she did 187 words in German language she didn't even know three hours ago, but but so they're they're going to be successful in any program. Right. right. But but TPRS we we get that, 
and it's it works so well in the classroom because it's successful for everybody. Everybody, yeah. The only way it does that is our emphasis on the sentence. Right, and that's one thing I like about the method, and I've looked at it very closely, is that you don't have to worry as a teacher about individual differences because no. the net is cast so wide and so broad for every learner type, whether you're a visual, whether you're auditory, whether you're kinetic, you're not kinetic, whether you're this, whether you're that. It really is one of the most broad-based student-centered approaches, uh, and I mean student in the sense, not just learner, but student in the sense of because people have individual differences in terms of how they like to do things. Um, and I've sat on, on workshops and classes, and I've watched all the different students in there. And, you know, like any typical class of 20, 25 people, you've got like 10 different learning styles in there. Everybody seems to be getting it and, and equally engaged. And so, oh, wait. Okay, so we'll come back to that in a minute. A minute. Let me give the Divot Challenge question real quick um, because before I forget, and then uh, we're going to take a phone call here in a minute. So here's the Diva Challenge question. This is, Walter will know this one. Wow, really? Okay. What Puerto, I doubt it. And, and you know, I'm going <laughs> so back to my, I'm going to my Latino roots, even though I I'm Mexican, even either. though I'm Mexican Latino, I'm going Puerto Rican here. So what Puerto Rican actress, dancer, and singer has won all four major awards, Grammy, Tony, Oscar, and Emmy? And she's the only Latina. What Puerto Rican actress, dancer, and singer has won all four major awards, Grammy, Tony, Oscar, and Emmy? And uh, I leave that question for the caller. Remember, Jen is waiting for you to call. 517-884-4321. We got a call from, guess who? We got a call from Dudu from Algeria. Dudu, are you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Uh, how uh, are you doing? What you calling about? Do you have a question for us? Uh, yes, a question for Blaine Ray, but first I want to thank him for, uh, the, before, because in the summer I was trying to, to go to an NTPRS conference. But I couldn't go because of the visa. So he, he tried to help me with the, the embassy with the email, but uh, I couldn't get the visa. So I want to thank him. Well, for there you go. I, I remember and, Dudu, uh, and we have tried to help him get his visa. He wanted to come to our national conference, and he, oh. because of v, America, oh, his visa was denied. So oh. we, we know his name. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So uh, I have a question. Okay, go ahead, Dudu. So uh, I'm, I'm now an English teacher. I, I try to use TPRs, but sometimes it is very hard for me to use TPR because it includes, uh, it includes having to, and uh, includes gestures. For me as a teacher, it is sometimes hard for me to do all the gestures because, because I'm teaching only girls and uh, it is, uh, for me as a teacher, as a male teacher, it is very difficult for me. You know, because uh, this is something with my character, it is not something with my personality. Mm-hmm. So, what is the most important thing for a uh, thing for a teacher to have in terms of uh, character and personality? Go ahead, Blaine. You want to answer? Yeah. That? Uh, you know, the personality doesn't matter. Uh, personality can make TPRS more interesting and more engaging, but the personality itself doesn't matter. What matters is that you ask comprehensible questions and learn the circling techniques and uh, just. You just keep asking those questions, and, and your kids will get it. Another thing I think you talked about, gestures. Uh, I, I started out with the idea that everything had to be pre-taught, and, I, and the only way I knew to pre, pre-teach was with TPR. So I did gestures exclusively started out. I've gotten away from that. Uh, some teachers still do it. Uh, gestures may or may not be a part of TPRS. Uh, uh, I think gestures uh, can help processing speed a little bit. So the question is, is it worth it for the time? 
you know, we might be better just to translate and use the questioning. So there, there might be some future research that might uh, sway us one way or other towards gestures. But as, as far as uh, TPS and personality, as your skills get better, uh, that's what I was talking about before. And skills are uh, – it just means that you have to script out where you're, what the sentences you're going to teach and you put variables in there. And the variables are done with the student actors and it, it, it takes time. You'll get better at it and it, that's, that is our number one – that's our biggest challenge. It's teacher training. Yep. And, and also, I think that, you know, sometimes when you go to workshops, do-do, or you or talk to people, you always see, like, people who are very experienced doing something. Um, it's like when you, you could go to an acting workshop, you could go to a singing workshop, right, Walt? You can go to, and, and you see these experienced people, and they make it look so easy, and they have these big personalities, and they're on the stage there. And what you've got to w- walk away with is saying, I can't be like that right now, but I know where I'm going to be in five years with this. I know my personality and what I can do. And here's, here's I'm going to set my goals for myself or how I'm going to get somewhere with this. And not try to be like Blaine or try to be like Walt or try to be like Angelica or try to be like Bill, but you got to be like Dudu and take it and make it your own. But again, as Blaine says, adhering to the principles and working that skill with your own personality and your own abilities. So, yeah, so I think that... I think I think that's what the attitude you should have toward it. Does that okay, make, thank make, you. Okay, you're welcome. Well, thanks for calling yeah, in. Yeah. Okay, have a great okay, day or have a good evening. I guess I should be saying have a good evening there in Algeria. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Bye bye, Dudu. Thank yeah, you so thank much. You. Bye bye. Thanks for calling, okay. Dudu. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for calling. We get calls. Uh, we, that's amazing. I know. We, Spain, we had, Algeria. Yeah, we get uh, the only way we don't get it. We don't get from the far east anymore. We, we used to get. Uh, Kira and a couple of the people calling from Tokyo, and mm. then mm-hmm. somebody from Australia tried to call once, but the phone dropped. So, mm. um, but anyway, it's hard for some people on the West Coast because they're in school or they they can't listen in real time. So, because mm. it's just the wrong time of day for them. But um, before, do we have another call coming in before I ask uh, uh, Blaine another question? Okay, let me go ahead and. Um, I'm going to ask Blaine this question anyway because I, he can answer one thing and then I'll come back and I'll let him answer another one. I'll let him, I'll let him stage scaffold this over time. So the question is, um, and I'm sure there are multiple things, so just give us one right now before we take our next call. What would you like to tell listeners out there about TPRS that they might not know or that they might misunderstand? Well, I, I, I think TPRS, uh, uh, from, we started out by saying, oh, this has to be bizarre or just totally crazy. And, you know, TPRS is just something, it's, it's focusing on a sentence. And you teach a sentence and you, you see, can your student actor, when he answers, does he hesitate? If he hesitates, that's telling you you need to practice more. And, and when you see that lack of hesitation, that's telling you that that student is so getting it and you need to do other sentences. It's the idea, the concept of teaching a sentence. I always say that our biggest enemy is teacher think versus student think. Teachers have been trained to cover, to do, they've got to be in chapter 10 by March or they're a bad teacher. And we say the, that's the worst thing that you, you can think like that. You've got to think like a student. And as a student, you feel like, I can't get enough repetition. I can't hear this too much. Right, right. And it's hearing it over and over and over in an interesting way, which we do with student actors and dramatization. It, it's a 
fascinating to, to see the class. On the, the heels morning. of that, I'm going to tell a quick anecdote that happened to me last time I went to Katya's class, Katya's workshop, and then we'll take a call on the phone here. But I remember when they put us the second day, they put us in groups to debrief and talk about uh, what we were seeing with a different student actor, because uh, that was Ryan, actually, who was the student actor the second day. And um, so we're working in groups, and uh, some people were kind of afraid to work with me because, oh, my God, here's the keynote speaker, you know, sitting in our groups. <laughs> but um, there was – at one point, this woman asked this question, Blaine, and I was a little taken aback. She said, so when do the students get to see the paradigms, like the verb charts? <laughs> and I went – not, not only did I think, you know, where was she for the, like the last two days, but I also said, <laughs> yeah. I said to myself, there's a reason behind that question. So, so uh, I think it was Donna who said, well, you know, or Katya said, well, they're on the wall. If they want them, you can, if you want to put them on the wall, they can be there. Um, and so I raised my hand and I said, I just have to ask this person. I'm sorry. I said, I don't know your name, but what was behind that question? Why are you asking that question? And you know what she said? Because I, as a learner, mm-hmm. want to mm-hmm. see those, and nope. I need those. Nope. And I turned to my group. I didn't want to embarrass her out loud. I turned to my group, and I said, this is classic teacher projecting on student projector. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If all students were like teachers, they'd be teachers of language, and they're not. And we're the weirdos. <laughs> we're we're, we're <laughs> yeah. the weirdos that like this stuff. We're not the norm. And so that, that's just what you're talking about, teacher think as opposed to student think. And you've got to be in the student's shoes. Absolutely. To, it, that could be true of any method, but it's particularly true of something like uh, TPRS or any uh, uh, approach or method where you're really working on communication and input in the classroom. So, uh, all, all of our workshops, we, we, do, we do a intro, we do a demo, right. and we take them through the, all of these steps of right. learning a story in a language they don't know. Right. And then we spend a lot of the time practicing these skills where right. they're teaching. And that's why our workshops have gotten a lot better. They've right. changed. Right. Um, let me take this next call, Blaine, and we'll come back to some of those issues. Maybe this question, maybe this person has a question related to what we're talking about. Um, do we have Kristen on the phone? Hi, this is Kristen. Hey, Kristen, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Rhode Island. Well, Rhode Island is, I was going to say it's a big state. It's not a big state, but it's got lots of different <laughs> no, places. So tell us what part of Rhode Island you're calling from. I live right on the Rhode Island, Connecticut line. Oh, okay, yeah. So. Okay. So you're, you're a bi-border, so, a bi-port, uh, I say bipolar, a bi-border person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I live in one and teach in the other. There so you go. every day, yeah, every day I go from one to the other. So what are you calling about, Kristen? What's your question? Well, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, helping some of my fellow teachers kind of get on board with um, TPRS. So I've been to, let's see, I've been to two workshops with Blaine. All the German I know I learned from Blaine. So I'm really sorry about <laughs> okay, that. Okay, Angel's going to talk German. to you in a minute, so be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Just have her no. tell a story. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I went to one, I went to one also with Katya, and I know very little Russian. You probably know more Russian than I do. Um, but what I find is that when I go with other teachers, especially if they're teachers that have kind of been teaching for a while, you know, I find for a lot of them that they feel that it's just so, so different from what they do traditionally in the classroom, that it's almost like they're kind of afraid to make any steps into try to, I guess, what they're considering to be upsetting the apple cart, for lack of a better metaphor. And so... Um, so I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is is if if you have any uh, suggestions or ideas on ways that we can kind of 
you know, help them kind of get their feet wet, you know, cause I'm, you know, and, and kind of start, you know, dabbling a little bit because I'm personally convinced that if they do, that they'll be like me, that they'll go in there and they'll try it and they'll say, Oh my Lord, I cannot believe how fabulous this is. This is the results I want. And I just kind of need to kind of give them some suggestions on how they can take that first step without, without being too skeptical. Mm-hmm. Blaine, yeah. you want to do you want to yeah, do that I, first? I've been working with a school in Chicago for the last five years, and they started out with this just a pilot of two teachers, and uh, what they agreed upon was that, that they would share the timed writings with the students. At the end of a story, we have the kids rewrite the story. It shows what every kid writes a different story, but they they write for five minutes, and we count the number of words and we look at the accuracy, and it tells us it's evidence that what we're doing really works. And by having uh, – it's the one thing that our kids can do that teachers – that students from a textbook uh, can't do. And so the more they shared their timed writings, then they could see that the people that were doing to TPRS had kids that could use the language and they could write in the language. And now this year, this year after five years, it's the first year where every single teacher is on board uh, they, they told me that they've for two years in a row, kids with two years of TPRS, they've had 40 kids that are so good that they've had to jump them in from two to four honors. And, and the, the, the numbers were the same now, so they've replicated it in two years. But it took them time to get there, but shared timed writings w- was the key. If you can get people to agree to that, it, it's a big step forward. So, so if I do, I do timed writings in my classroom, you know, all the time. I have kids in French one right now that can do over a hundred words in five minutes. Great job. That's a great score. That's wonderful. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, and so if I show them to other people and then their question is, okay, how do I start this? You know, what, you know, what should be the first thing that should I do? Should I just say, go in and tell a story or, you know, what kind of tools can I equip them with? You know, one thing that we're doing in our business is we're doing more and more volunteer training. Uh, I did a lot of this through volunteer. Uh, Give our business a call. See if one of us is available. Just go out and see if we can work with those teachers. Sometimes just getting them and and letting them feel what it's like to learn this way is is what it'll take to get them to try it. And uh, they've they've got to see how good this is. Right. Uh, But but give us a shot at just volunteering. Yeah, yeah. Contact, yeah. Contact the office and uh, yeah. and see. Yeah. Keep books. Yeah. Um, because because in a certain sense, w- the irony of this is, and the the novice teacher for something like this needs input hmm. about giving input in the classroom. Exactly. And there's nothing like the Chinese expression: "One picture's worth ten thousand words," right? Yeah. And so, watching an hour or two of this just is eye opening. And so, and that's what I think they need. And then once the wheels start turning, because I've seen this at several workshops. I saw this when Mike did a workshop last summer. I was watching the wheels turning on people's heads. I was watching uh, last summer and so on. Um, and, uh, and of course, not everybody's going to get on board, right, Kristen? But what you want to do is put the bait out there. But feeling it exactly. as a student when, when, is the key. The what you said, learning Russian and Katya's right. class, right. that's what convinces you. Exactly. So they need, they need to, they need to sit, they, ideally, for example, if they could attend something where they're the student for two hours, for example, it, it's an eye-opener. That's what they need to do. So that will help them. That will, that will push them. That will make them take the very first step, I think. So, 
Does that make sense? Awesome. Yeah. It sure does. All right. Well, give the office a yeah. call and see if they can help you with some more things. Uh, Blaine says that. Yeah, that would be to... great. Well, good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you guys have a good rest of the show. I'll be listening. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank Don't you. get lost Thanks there in the Connecticut border. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye-bye. Kristen. Bye, Kristen. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Uh, that's an interesting part of the uh, where she lives. There's that tri-state area of Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island, where people like live in one, work in the other, and then they go dine in the other. You know, they're just mm. just a little teeny part where those three states come together. All right, I'm going to give the uh, diva challenge question one more time. Walter, did you know the answer? I did not know the answer for the record. Did no. you Did you look it up or did you look at my sheet over here that I have? Uh, I saw it on your sheet. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let me read the question again. We want people to call in. This is, this is I thought, this this is not a hard one. I mean, you can Googleize this one. Okay, here we go. What Puerto Rican actress, dancer, and singer has won all four major awards? Grammy, Tony, Oscar, and Emmy. Um, so call in with an answer. Jen is there. Ooh, Jen, did you get somebody already? Oh, great. Look at that. Look at that. Like no clockwork. I, I like know, it. No, I tell you, so... Okay, so we have uh, Anna on the line. Anna, are you there? I'm here. Hey, Anna, where are you calling from? Minnesota, is that what I'm looking at? That's right. What the part Minneapolis of Min- area of Minnesota. Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Were you at the conference this last fall when I was there? I was. Did I meet you? Did I, did, I, did, I, did I talk to you? Do I know? Did we meet? I did meet you. Oh, okay, because we don't do last names, so I'm, gonna, I'm drawing a blank right now, but that's okay. We can talk later because, you know, I'm... I'm I was so happy in Minnesota. I had a great time there. I met lots of people. So, Okay, you ready for the question one more time? Here we go. I'm ready. What Puerto Rican actress, dancer, and singer has won all four major awards, Grammy, Tony, Oscar, and Emmy? Take it away, Anna. What's the answer? Is it Rita Moreno? Ding, 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 ding. ding. There we go, yes. And I always try to throw things in because she acts and dances and does things both in English and Spanish. So... Uh, we like to have promote our people who are multilingual on the show. Um, and again, she's the only, there are 12 people in the history of entertainment who have gotten all four major wow. awards. And she's the only Latina or Latino. Huh. Did you know that, Walter? I did not know that. Now you know, right? I know, but yeah, I'm sure did. I'll forget by the t- end of the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Anna, for that. And congratulations. We're going to send a prize to you for that. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for calling in. Did you want to say hi to Blaine while you're on the line? Yes, I would. I'd love to say hi, and I really appreciate listening to Tea with BVP, and I really appreciate everything about TPRS. I switched over to TPRS just a couple of years ago, and it's been one of the best things for me and for my students. And not only have I seen amazing results from my students, but also it's it's a lot more fun than what I was doing before. So, thank you. Well, good for All you. Right. Good for you, Anna. Thanks for that plug. <laughs> we paid her, by the <laughs> yeah. way. <to> call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, I see Mikey through the glass when they were there calling people on a cell phone. Call in, call in, call in. Call in. Yeah. <laughs> Say just no, that right great. there. That's great. <laughs> All right. So, Blaine, anything you want to say about... Um, either TPRS or language acquisition, anything that we haven't talked about that, that's on your mind right now? Or and you have any questions for me, I'd be happy to answer your questions for a change if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we've uh, – maybe I could ask you about uh, what you feel on some of the criticisms. Uh, some people have uh, in the field have criticized timed writings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we like timed writings for just from a teacher point of view. Because at the end, after a kid has learned a story, what he can output on paper, this is a this takes very little class time. Right. It's not input; it's output. So it violates the input hypothesis. 
but it get it lets the teacher see, oh my gosh, this kid is is really getting this. And we can we count the number of words. After a kid has had a week of Spanish and he does a timed writing, he can do about 40 words. And we know at the end of Spanish one, they can do about 70 to 80 words in this five-minute period. Level two, they're about 100. And then after that, it levels off, you know. And so this is really an important thing for teachers to get this feedback. So we love timed writings, even though it violates input hypothesis. Well, it doesn't violate the input hypothesis because oh, it doesn't. <laughs> because you're not using you're not using time writing to teach anything. You're using no. time writing as a self-assessment for you as a teacher. You're using time writing to say, how are my students progressing? And if you work in a school district, you need to have some kind of measurement assessment. Mm-hmm. You can tell your principal, your administrator, your parents. Here's Johnny and Mary Ann. Here's what they can do right now. Look at look at what they're doing. Here's their here's what they did the first week. Here's what they've done now, three months later. Look at the progress. And people go, oh, so that's how you look at it. And so it's not a violation of the input hypothesis because you're not using it to teach language wow. or to get language in their heads. Using it as a self-assessment and as a way to show people and to tell students also because students need to know Gosh, look what I know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if you don't let them see what they know, they don't know. They think it's just frivolous time in the classroom. It's the thrill of getting it, and they can do it on paper. And what you do is like what I like to do when, when I used to teach language regularly, which I don't anymore, is I would save students. To, I did this to Actually, I did it last year in my conversation class because I had writing as part of my conversation class because we would do all this input interaction work, and then they would culminate in this little, these little mini writing tasks because their idea was they were going to do like a, a website to, to put this stuff all together in one big, large, uh, like a blog thing. And so what I did is I showed them, I saved all their very first things they wrote the f- second week of class. And I compared, I showed them. Love it. I put it up Love on, it. I put it up on overhead on the PowerPoint slides with the last thing they wrote. And I said, let's look at what you've done. Let's look at sentence structure. Look, look at the words you're using. And they're all like, because they never had a test. I never gave them quizzes, nothing. And they went, oh my God. We really did learn a lot in this exactly. class. And what was interesting was on my evaluations afterwards, they said, they, <laughs> I shouldn't say this, I don't want to you know, belittle anybody, but they said, even though it was a conversation class, they felt they learned more about writing and integrating writing and speaking in my class than any other class I've ever taken, including mm-hmm. their composition classes. So, um, so it's important to empower students and make them feel good about what they're doing. And I think, I think the time writings do that. I love it. i got one other thing real, Go ahead. that I think uh, we've been criticized on... Uh, uh, Stephen Krashen says that uh, forcing output uh, doesn't aid in acquisition. And so, and I believe that, absolutely. But part of what we do is we involve student, we engage student actors. And so we turn to boy number one and we say, are you a boy? And if they haven't had any language, why they don't know how to answer that. Right. But we have to teach them how to say, yes, I am a boy. And then, then I also have to say to the boy, am I a boy? And then so we have to teach him how to say, yes, you are a boy. If they don't have the language skills to do that, they have to read it. Well, well so at that very first, it, you know, we've been, crit- oh, that's force output. It's a focus on form. It's for, uh, but but w- what we're doing, we have two very compelling reasons for doing this. First of all, we have 35 kids in this class that are getting IU input now that they didn't get before. That's the first thing. And the next thing is, uh, in all, I've done, been doing this training for over t- t- for 25 years now. 
the only thing that will slow a teacher down in this process of trying to cover more, 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 more is hesitancy in student actors. And so when we turn to our student actor and he responds, he, he, at first he responds by reading, but that goes away just immediately. And then after that, he gets more and more confident. But hesitancy in his answer lets the teacher know, I need to practice that sentence more. Mm-hmm. And so, so there are two tr- tremendously compelling. It slows the teacher down in this process of going through sentences of a story is the one thing. And then it gives tremendous, much better input than what we were doing before. And we've been criticized for that. What's your opinion? Well, l- let me, I'm going to couch it in things I've, I've said in my book that's coming out this summer with ACFO. I'll put a plug in for that. By the way, there's a title. It's called Why We're on the Topic, BVP on Language Acquisition and Classroom Practice. So that's coming out with ACFO in July. Um, and one of the things I say in there and I say in workshops and keynotes and so on, when we talk about in the, input in the classroom and what is good input, is the difference between talking at and talking with. And what TPRS, from my observation, exemplifies is talking with students. You only talk with if students are actively engaged in the input with you. It could be one-word response. It could be sentences. It could be however you structure it. I mean, again, this is part of the style thing that people can get into. Input input is not talking at someone. Even a parent talking to a one-year-old who knows the child can only go, duh, duh, is looking for eye expression, or the child's waving its hands, or the child's making giggling noises. That's the child's ability to interact at that point. The parent is not talking at the child, the parent is talking with the child. And so this idea that you're talking about to me makes perfect sense because um, for two reasons, the ones that you mentioned, but my two reasons would be, again, you can't talk at people. That's, that'll be a deadly class, uh, deadly class period. And the second thing is that, um, Again, it's that self-monitoring and self-assessment at any point in time. How do I know what you've understood unless you're engaged with me and saying something? It could be a head nod. It could be a yes, no. It could be a sentence. It could be whatever. And I have no problems in my input tasks that I, I promote. Um, students are engaged with each other, but it's all on the page in front of them. So they're not creating with language. They are the, the input is on the page for them. As, uh, so I'm not forcing them to do anything that they can't do. Exactly. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And so, uh, Angelica was just pointing the time to me. So um, we're probably going to wrap up here in a minute, Blaine. But, um, but yeah, I, so I would agree with you. I wouldn't disagree. I don't think that's forced output in the classic sense of forced output. Again, we're not talking about making people talk to learn. We're talking about making people talk to show us what they've learned and what they don't have, we go, oh, well, we've got more work to do. Right? That's, I love it. That's, love that's it. what we talk yeah. about. Okay, right. well, we're going to give our acknowledgments now. And say, first of all, we got to thank Blaine for being about. Thank him in a minute. Um, we want to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago. Yay, Daniel. Our media producer, Luca Giappone. Our talented and trusty intern. She's awesome today taking all those phone calls, Jennifer Lee. Um, we would like to thank um, Dustin DeFelice, who's back there behind the scenes, helping with everything now. Um, the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. We thank all of your listeners out there as well. And, of course, a big round of applause on Galaxy Walker for playing Thanks, Blaine. Thank you, Blaine. We'll be back wow. next week at the same time and day. Until then, have a great weekend. Enjoy your weather wherever you are. 
and happy second language acquisition to everybody. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bis nächste Woche. Bye-bye. Okay, who was that? That was for who, Anna? Who did the... No, it wasn't Anna. Who was it? I don't know. Kristen? Was it Kristen? I don't know. I can't remember either. Wow. Anyway. Alice moments all over. 